0: Verse 13 of Luke 24. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him, to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre, And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools! And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? Amen. May God add his blessing to the public reading of his infallible word for his name's sake. We're going to take as our text, verses 25 through 27. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The road from Jerusalem to Emmaus runs down to the northwest. So I'm going to say that again because that seems to go against what we would conclude. It runs down to the northwest. I had an illustration of this truth when I used to visit my aunt and uncle in Erie a number of times over the years. Missed them very much. They are now with the Lord. But in Erie, Pennsylvania, if you go down toward the lake, you're going north. If you go up away from the lake, you're going south. So it took me a long time to get that in my mind that because I used to have this idea when you're going up, you're going north, when you're going down, you're going south. That wasn't the way it was. But Regardless of direction, every road from Jerusalem runs downhill. Jerusalem sits on a plateau, so all of the roads ascend. The distance between Jerusalem and Emmaus is 60 furlongs, we learn in the Scriptures, or about seven and a half miles. So, Averaging 30 inches for each step, the men of whom we have read walked nearly 16,000 steps during the afternoon of that day. It was the day after the Jewish Sabbath, and so they did not fear transgressing the limit of a Sabbath day's journey. But their journey took place on a historic day. It was, as we read in Matthew, the end of the Sabbaths, meaning the Jewish Sabbaths. For on the morning of that day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke provides us the infallible account of what transpired during the long walk that afternoon. Two disciples made the trip. It appears that they were not among the 11 surviving disciples who were the companions of Jesus throughout his public ministry, Judas Iscariot having killed himself. Instead, these two were among the larger group who tried to make sense of the bewildering events of the previous few days. As the two men walked, and as we read, they spoke about the events that transpired. It was just a week since the entry of Jesus of Nazareth into Jerusalem, to the loud hosannas of the multitude. They discussed the reports that began circulating early in the morning of that day. They could not make sense out of what they heard. And their perplexity compounded their sadness. They relied on what they thought they knew. Jesus spoke to them often of the events that now were a source of perplexity. But they didn't grasp what Jesus taught. Those two followers of Jesus of Nazareth were the prisoners of their lack of understanding. And in the midst of their journey, another man joined them. It's striking, I think, that they did not ask him from which direction he came or what his destination was. He drew them into a conversation that led to the preaching of a sermon that consumed the rest of their journey so that the sun was setting when they entered Emmaus. And they constrained Jesus, though they did not know his identity, to lodge with them for the night. Suddenly, at the dinner table, when the stranger took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, they realized that they were in the company of the risen Christ. And as soon as they realized the identity of their companion and believed in his resurrection, he vanished from their sight. And in that instant, faith replaced sight their understanding finally went beyond the surface appearance of events they had heard jesus expound the scriptures from the entire hebrew bible and the disciples realized that their knowledge rested on the truth of the scriptures that went beyond what they could see with their physical eyes. And in the words of Christ to them, there is a message we do well to ponder as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper. Christ has a word for us that has both rebuke and encouragement. Let us hear Christ's sermon before the table. Christ's sermon before the table. The disciples and their unknown guest sat down to a meal at a table. And there's some debate among commentators as to the significance of that meal. And some have suggested that the language of the breaking of the bread is a reference to the supper the Savior instituted for his disciples in the upper room just a few nights before. Now whether these two men were in that room on that occasion, we can't know. But whether they recognize the manner of the supper that the Lord instituted just a few nights earlier, we can say that the message He delivered to them along the road to Emmaus is the message He delivers to us today. We come again to the Lord's table as Jesus has commanded. And we do so because Like those two disciples, we are so foolish that we are slow of heart to believe the testimony of the Scriptures. So we come to this supper to consider again the reality of the sufferings of Christ and the triumph of those sufferings in securing the redemption of Christ's people. Christ had to suffer those things so that he could enter his glory. Those sufferings are our theme again today as we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper. This sermon to which I refer from our Lord Jesus Christ has three imposing points. First, Christ's startling imputation. That's verse 25. Now, when we look at the narrative that we have read, the reality that must strike us is how ordinary the conversation was initially when Jesus whom the disciples did not recognize, began to walk with them. We read in verse 17, He asked them what appears to be a low-key question. What are you talking about? What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? We read in verse 15 that they communed together and they reasoned. Verse 14, they talked together of all these things which had happened. They were sad. And Jesus, noting their sad demeanor and their mood of discouragement and perplexity, asked them, what the cause of their sadness was. We know one of the disciples is named Cleopas. Not one of the twelve, obviously. He responded to the question of their unknown traveler. He responded with incredulity. When Jesus said, Well, what what manner of circumstances are these? And this one said to him, Have you not been around? Are are you are you just a stranger here that you don't know what's been going on here in Jerusalem and in this area for the last few days? And Jesus in reply said simply. What things? I've often thought about that question. What things? For Jesus knew very well the full extent of the answer to that question. But they both began then to relate the story that was vivid in their minds. They referred to the reports that the women brought back from the tomb that Jesus was alive. They couldn't believe it. What was it that that we read elsewhere in the Gospel accounts that the words of these women who came back from the tomb seemed to them as idle tales. They believed them not. They could not grasp the significance of these reports. And these two men said, yes, we've heard all those reports, but... As far as we know, no one who went to the tomb has seen Jesus. Him they saw not. And then suddenly, in the narrative, the whole tone of the conversation changed. Instead of this low-key conversation with a basic give and take of conversation Jesus adopted a different approach. And they must have felt amazement when he reproached them suddenly for being fools. Then he said unto them, Oh, fools! They must have wondered where this man was coming from. He brought them up short by charging them with folly. Now, these were Jewish men, and they understood the language in Scripture of folly. They knew the language in the Proverbs concerning that which is foolish. Let's turn to Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26. Verse 1. As snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. He that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage. The legs of the lame are not equal, so is a parable in the mouth of fools." As he that bindeth a stone in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. They were quite familiar with the concept in the scriptures of folly. And Jesus was now speaking to them as fools. And they felt the application of those words to them. Jesus refused to be a party to their folly. That is why he changed the direction of the conversation. And notice what it was that constituted their foolishness. It was that they were slow to believe. You notice that it was not that they were infidels. It was not that they did not believe or refused. They were Slow to believe. So Jesus did not, in this imputation, charge them with unbelief. He did not say that they refused to believe the reports that they heard. He simply said they didn't believe them right away. The word slow here conveys the atmosphere of uncertainty. It refers to the sphere of time and sense only. Unless we can evaluate things in the sphere of time and sense, we're not sure if we should believe them. So this slowness does not then abide in God's revelation. They were slow of heart to believe. And isn't there a startling imputation in our text for us? Isn't there an application as we prepare to partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper? Don't we come to this table in a spirit of being slow to believe? No, we are orthodox. We know in our orthodoxy, what the Lord's Supper represents. We've heard the words of institution many, many times. But don't we hear the voice of Christ today startling us with the imputation that we are slow to believe what this supper represents? Notice that the Lord elaborated on his imputation They were slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. All that the prophets had spoken. Now, there were some aspects of the Hebrew Bible that they did believe readily. But there were those other aspects concerning Christ and his sufferings that they could not get. They did not reject them out of hand, but they didn't know what to make about those things. And when we come to the Lord's table, we face again our slowness to believe. We face again our coldness of heart, our dullness of mind. We feel the sadness that those disciples felt. They heard Christ's startling imputation in the atmosphere of shock. How could the conversation shift so dramatically? But Jesus was just getting started. He moved into the heart of his sermon. The second of these imposing points, Christ's searing interrogation. Verse 26, if the two disciples found Christ's initial rebuke of them startling, they had to wonder even more when their companion, and remember they did not know who he was, bore in on them with very sharp questions. This interrogation penetrated their depressed exterior and revealed how much they were slow to believe. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Ought not Messiah to have suffered these things? In verse 19, he asked, in apparent ignorance, as far as the two disciples were concerned, what things? So the disciples said, well, in case you haven't heard let us bring you up to date on the events of the crucifixion. The rulers of the Jews condemned Jesus of Nazareth and delivered him to the Roman governor so he could order his crucifixion. It was that fact that overshadowed them in their long walk to Emmaus that caused them to be surprised that anybody would not know about these events Christ focused on those things ought not Christ to have suffered these things they were the things of which the prophets spoke during the old testament period they were the things that the apostle peter referred to in 1st peter chapter 1 let us turn to First Peter Chapter One. First Peter Chapter One and Verse ten. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us us, they did minister the things the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things so that the Spirit of Christ testified in the prophet's of the sufferings of Christ. The challenge to the disciples and to us concerns the reality of the sufferings of Christ. Ought not translates the word that means a necessity. The Savior's question to them was about that necessity. Necessity. If they knew the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible, shouldn't they conclude that Christ had to suffer and die? That was his interrogation. It is what we remember at the Lord's table. It was necessary. It was necessary for our Savior to suffer those things. The emblems that are on the table speak of the tangible nature of those sufferings. His broken body, his shed blood, and those emblems remind us that these things were necessary. But they were necessary in the language we read in 1 Peter 1 as a prologue To the Savior's ultimate vindication. That vindication was the accomplishment of all that the Savior came to do. As Peter said, it is the glory that should follow. The glory that should follow. It is the forward look of the Lord's Supper, the glory that should follow the redemption of every person, every single individual person whom the Father gave to the Son before the foundation of the world. During this searing interrogation, the disciples felt the fire of the Lord's questions. Later, after they recognized Jesus, and Jesus vanished, they confessed that His conversation with them set their hearts on fire. Verse 32, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened to us the Scriptures? The Savior meets us today before this table, and interrogates us in like manner. Wasn't it necessary that Christ should suffer in the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood? Hasn't his suffering of those things opened the door to eternal glory? We're not here today to engage in a superficial ritual. We answer the searing interrogation that those disciples encountered. That's quite a bit already, but the interview was far from over. And so we come to the third imposing point, Christ's sweeping indoctrination. Verse 27, it was apparent that the disciples lacked sufficient acquaintance with the Hebrew Bible. It's not to say they didn't know it, but they didn't understand it. So Jesus instructed them in it, all of it. Now, it's evident that there was not enough time left in the day for the Lord Jesus to cover every chapter and verse in the Old Testament, but he left nothing along the way. We read in verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He began at Moses, and continued through all the prophets. And that category included what the Jews called the writings, the poetical books, Job, and Psalms, and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Later on in this last chapter of Luke's Gospel, We encounter the risen Lord with his disciples, really on the very same day. And on that occasion, he referred to the whole Old Testament in its three divisions. You find that in verse 44. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. The Psalms here was a general reference to the category known as the writings. And if you take up a Hebrew Bible, and if you're able to read what's on the cover, there are three Hebrew words. And in Hebrew, you read from right to left. And those three Hebrew words are the law, not, these are translations, the law, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. He began at Moses. It is striking because Jesus put his stamp of approval again on the first five books of the Bible as being written by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he had the response to the liberals and apostates who have challenged the Mosaic authorship of those first five books. Not to mention, sadly, weak-minded evangelicals. The Torah, Jesus said, came into existence through the miracle of divine inspiration. And those books, like all the other scriptures, are infallible. So there was the range of his indoctrination, of his teaching. His message was that though the two men did not recognize him, They had to realize that the Hebrew Scriptures are a revelation of Christ. So he expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. What a word for us as we read from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament we find revealed the things concerning Concerning our Lord. What a sermon it was. How riveting it was. Those two disciples in the last hours of their journey received a comprehensive understanding of the truth of Christ. And in that sermon, their companion provided them The indoctrination in the gospel. And here we are again today before the table of the Lord. And our Lord points our attention again to all that the scriptures say concerning him. In the bread and in the cup is another reminder of that sweeping indoctrination. We are here to remember Jesus. We are here to rejoice in his sufferings and to exult in the glory that should follow. Here is Christ's sermon. Let us take these words to heart ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Let us bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father and our eternal God, how we rejoice again today In the grace that thou hast given unto us to bring us to thy word, and oh, to hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, let us hear them as we come to partake of the elements of this supper. Let us hear the words of Christ, we pray. It was necessary that our Savior should suffer these things and to enter into his glory. Oh, let us hear the rebuke today for our slowness to believe. We have to come again and again to the table because we, we lose sight of the truth. Our carnal nature asserts itself. We are slow to believe. O oh, Father, kindle that flame of zeal and faith in our soul afresh today as we come to the table of the Lord. Hear our cry, we ask. And, oh, abide with us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.